0: Welcome to the Canning Plus 7 podcast. To contact Kevin Williams, send him an email, Canning 7 at protonmail.com. That's canning plus the number 7 at protonmail.com. Plus is spelled out when sending him an email.
1: My son wanted to you borrow it for on a construction project, and I said, I can't, I'm using it. And so he went and bought some little nicer panels and put him some batteries in a little box, and he's got one that he can lift in and out of his pickup. And two or three guys can run uh, in his construction company. They use it to discharge the batteries on their cordless tools. And occasionally, I think he runs a big saw with it. But uh, you can you can put one together for uh, about the same money that you
0: would buy a good dependable generator for. And you won't have to start it. Welcome to the Canning Plus 7 podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams, podcasting to you from Billings, Montana. You're going to notice some changes in this and future podcasts. First of all, I have a producer. She is going to be a phenomenal producer and already is. Her name is Relay. (sighs) What Relay and I have talked about is timestamps. For example, if I talk about something such as generators or 72-hour kits, or something to that effect, or any topic on any podcast, it will be time-stamped. That way you can just fast-forward through a particular topic until you get to the one that you want. Now, this podcast will be split up from topic to topic, just like the last one. Also, there'll be a whole entire podcast that you can listen to as well. Why am I doing this? Well, not everybody has time to listen to the whole entire podcast, but then there are people that do want to listen to the whole podcast or there are simply people who might have a long drive. Let's say somebody has a four-hour drive or a long drive and they don't have time to get a hold of their audio playing device, their iPhone, iPad, whatever it is, and go from topic to topic on this particular Canning Plus 7 feed. So what I have decided to do is split it up from topic to topic. And then I have also decided to put the whole entire podcast on there so that people who don't have time to find their audio playing device can just listen to the whole entire podcast. Val Westover was my guest. Some of you have heard of Val Westover through ButterflyExpress.net. I know we talked about ButterflyExpress.com and .org. But after the podcast, Val called me up and said, it's ButterflyExpress.net. So I'm going to direct you to ButterflyExpress.net. Val has a wealth of knowledge of prepping and herbal remedies. As you may know, him and his wife, more so his wife, I think, than Val, but certainly Val, are very educated when it comes to essential oils and homeopathic remedies. Some of you may have seen the Butterfly Express YouTube channel. Val and I talked specifically about prepping, essential oils, and herbal remedies. So let's enjoy this podcast discussing prepping and herbal remedies. One of the things we did discuss is what herbs and oils do you want to carry with you during an emergency? I made it very clear that I am going to take frankincense, lavender, and tea tree. Those have always been my go-to oils since I have gotten into essential oils. Let's enjoy this great podcast that I did with Val Westover, and Raleigh also chimed in at the end of this podcast to bring up How Can I Get the Book? Welcome to the Canning Plus 7 podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams, podcasting from Billings, Montana, I know it's been a while since I've done a show. I've got some great shows in the works, and I've been preparing for some podcasts. So things have been busy just uh, behind the scenes here, and I we have a new addition to the show tonight. Relay, how are you, Relay?
2: I'm doing good, thanks. How are you doing, Kevin?
0: Good. Hang on, just a second. I got to I got something happening with my. Okay. So this is a significant addition because Relay is my producer for the podcast. And I think she is going to be a phenomenal producer. We've had lots of conversations. I've known you since what, 2015. I'm not going to get into how we met because it would take too long. That could be for another podcast. But I am super excited to have you as a producer, Relay. How are you? I'm
2: excited about it too. This is a uh, an opportunity that I think will be a great experience for me, uh, definitely a new and learning experience, and I'm excited to be a part of it. So thank you for inviting me to be a part of it as well.
0: Absolutely. And one of the, re- the reason I have Relay is because I want to do some more advanced podcasts. One of the things that I have been trying to do if the podcast goes for too long is to break things up and Relay will be taking notes telling me how long each topic lasted, and then I'll decide if I'm going to break it up or not, or if I do, which part. And Relay will ask a few questions here and there. And Relay, let's just learn a little bit about you. This I don't want to make this whole podcast about you, but where are you from, and how did you get to Salt Lake?
2: Oh, well, I originally grew up in Southern California, down in the Mojave Desert, Uh, in a place called Palmdale. But Um, you're not a liberal. Which what?
0: You're not a liberal.
2: No, no, I moved (laughs) out of there way before all that started.
0: Okay, carry on. Um,
2: Yeah. And then um, in 94, I moved to Colorado and I lived in Colorado for, well, I raised my son there. He went from kindergarten to high school there. and... And then in 2008, when he joined the military, I had a friend living here in Salt Lake at the time who made it sound like a great deal to move here to salt lake so i up and moved and that's where i'm now well, i'm a little north of salt lake now but yeah that's how i ended up here
0: all right well uh well, i'm sure we'll learn more about you later as we continue the podcasts and val westover is my guest tonight how are you val hey i'm doing great kevin how are you doing Good. Now, some of you may know Val from Butterfly Express. Some of you may know Val or heard the Westover name from the book Educated. We're not going to talk about Educated tonight. We're not going to talk about educating. We are going to do that on a separate podcast feed, though, but not this one. What we are going to talk about, though, is prepping, because some of you may know Val has been an admin prepper for how long, Val? 40-plus years, probably? That's pretty close. Yeah, and you own Butterfly Express. Just real quick, though, let's learn a bit about you. So, you were born in Clifton, I take it, or Preston, or somewhere over there, yeah, Idaho. I've lived my pretty much my whole life in Clifton, Idaho. Okay. And just real quick, just so people get to know who, how did you get to become a prepper and how did you start Butterfly Express? If you can give us a summary. We'll get into this later in a different podcast, but briefly. Uh, <clears throat> we uh,
1: started right after Larry and I got married uh, doing our food storage, buying wheat and honey and the basics uh, on a fairly limited budget. And as we uh, got that done, I had some fairly severe health problems and... Uh, we had kind of a bad experience in the hospital with our firstborn son, and uh, larry became pregnant again. And we were looking for answers when we found uh, an herbal midwife. A doctor was an MD, was training her, and he came up from Salt Lake actually and uh, helped deliver our second son, and taught us a little bit about herbs and this that and the other. Spent the, the spent a day, and we started uh, dealing with our health problems with herbally. And as we progressed in our food storage, we decided we wanted to be able to store some herbs uh, for emergencies. And we had been using powdered herbs at that time and making them into capsules. And uh, the, the tinctures were a little bit pricey for us at that time. So uh, Laurie came back and after she researched it and said the best way to store herbs was to tincture them, to soak them in alcohol and uh, then strain them off and then the alcohol would keep almost indefinitely. So we began to make a supply of herbs, uh, different combinations from Dr. Christopher's old formulas. We were very fortunate to get a copy of his, uh, uh, one of his original uh, books which was about four feet high. Wow. And uh, I think there's only three that I know of uh, in the world out there. But anyway, we got that. We copied his formulas and we started making these. And uh, the that's what we started using. And as our kids got sick, we would give those to them. And I was playing with them quite a bit, trying to deal with my problems. And uh, the kids got well very quickly. So the neighbors... That wanted some. And then uh, our relatives wanted some. And uh, Larry came with a report and she said, you know, we're giving this stuff away and it's taking a good share of our grocery budget to replace this all the time. And I said, well, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's charge a little bit of profit, get your time in there. And then we will take all the money and we will put it back into it. We won't touch it for a living. We'll just, we'll just build our supply, and that's how we will get our supply of herbs. Uh, so we have a good two-year supply of everything we want. And she did that, and the, so the little business started. Larie did it in her little cupboard. And I remember one Christmas we were, we were broke, Uh, We were brokering the Ten Commandments and we were wondering where we were going to get the money to pay for Christmas and uh, the bills coming due. And Lurie informed us she was headed off to California down to L.A. to take a class, a rather expensive one. And I, well, how are we going to afford that? And she says, I have the money saved and we can't spend it for anything else. And I'm going to class. And that's what she did. She started traveling the country and buying books and going to classes. And that's how she learned a lot of what she knows. And uh, the business just expanded in the homeopathics, essential oils, and various things over the years. And then I, uh, I bought the company from my wife here about 15 years ago, and she settled down and she focuses mainly on teaching.
0: Okay. Well, it's great to have you on here. For those of you that don't know, Butterfly Express is out of Clifton, Idaho. ButterflyExpress.org. Do you prefer the dot org or the com domain? Because I know you got both of them up there.
1: Well, actually, uh, we have a wholesaler that owns the com. Oh, okay. Uh, an affiliate type program. And so uh either one works fine. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um well, so let's get into, you sent me a list of things that you want to talk about, and I've got questions for you, and I know Relay has questions, and she'll be following along, and when we're done, I'll let Relay ask a question or two if she wants, and let's get started. So the first thing you brought up is fuel storage. What is the best way to store fuel?
1: Well, uh, Let's talk about the fuel just a little bit, which different ones. Uh, For starters, I think the main fuel that people are using is gasoline. The gasoline that we have today does not store anywhere near like the the leaded gas that we had 25 years ago. Uh, The ethanol in the gas, which is mandated by state requirements in many cases, up to 10%, the ethanol settles out in storage and a burst of ethanol into your gas system can destroy your fuel system, your carburation and your fuel injection, and it will eat out the seals and and, uh, cause major problems unless your car is made to deal with straight ethanol. And so... uh, it is particularly hard on small motors like gas uh, lawnmowers, chainsaws, and uh, things that sit for a little while like a gasoline generator. And so if you're going to store gas uh, for any length of time, even you know a month or two, it would be very best to go and purchase some ethanol-free gas. Maverick has some pumps, hoses, and everything that's just specific for ethanol free. And in many cases, you can buy a premium grade that doesn't have ethanol in it, it will be marked as ethanol free if in fact it is, if I'm just going to buy the uh, higher grade that claims to be ethanol free, I will put a gallon or two in my car first, before I fill my little container to take home to put in the lawnmower, or the chainsaw or whatever. And if I will do that, I will have very little trouble with the carburation or hard to start small motors because the ethanol in those, if it sits for even a few days is very hard on those small motors and uh, just not a good idea at all. You want to put ethanol free in those. And uh, the, uh, the best way to, to, Uh, store gasoline for a little while is to buy ethanol free and put a good fuel stabilizer in it and keep it in a fairly cool place where the temperature doesn't change drastically uh, night to day. That being said, uh, diesel stores quite a bit better, especially in an underground situation where the temperature is mainly varying twice a year rather than twice a day. And in that situation, with a good fuel stabilizer, a good diesel will last 10, 12 years or longer. One of the problems, of course, with the diesel is you have to vent the tank. And so uh, they have a little air vent on that as the temperature does change the the volume. And of course, as you take the fuel out, air has to come in to replace it. And so uh, you have an air vent on that tank. If the wind blows past that air vent, it has like a Venturi effect and it will draw air out. And then if the wind stops or changes direction, it changes that and you have a constant air movement in and out of that tank and that is not good. So you can cover it with a bucket or whatever you need to do to get that air vent out of the wind and that will help your storage immensely. And uh, Power Service makes a really good commercial uh, fuel stabilizer for diesel fuel and if that is used, your fuel uh, underground will last quite, quite well uh, if the temperature doesn't change day to day. That's the, that's the biggie right there. And uh, propane, of course, is the king. Propane in a stored tank doesn't lose its cetane or its octane. It stays the same because it's under pressure. And uh, another nice thing about propane is that if you have a generator that's on propane, which really is the only way to go with a good good backup generator, you cannot start it for six months and go out and hit the button and it'll go. And in fact, if you do have a propane generator, you want to keep fuel in your carburation, in your heat exchanger. Those seals and things will dry out and get hard and not work very well, or not at all, if there's not fuel in them. So you want to have propane in your system at all times, and then uh, very dependable. Uh, So propane would be a king as far as backup generators or uh, a motor that's going to sit for any length of time and not be used. Uh, Even your car that you're running on uh, regular gasoline that you're buying at the store or the grocery, the, the gas station. Uh, you would be better off if that car is going to sit for any length of time Buy your gas in a very busy gas station where the fuel hasn't been sitting for very long. Because if the fuel is sitting there and they're not changing the fuel out of that tank, your chances of getting a surge of ethanol increases dramatically. And that can be really destructive to your car, especially if it sits in the tank for any length of time. So... Buy your gas for your car at a busy, the busiest place you know. That's that's the best. And uh, if the car is going to sit, once a month, go out and start the car and let it run for a minute and put old fuel out and put new fuel in. And uh, the gasoline we have today just doesn't do what it used to. So uh, on the propane, uh, I think...
0: We've, we've, did I maybe, I guess I've covered fuel storage, haven't I? Yeah, I just have a couple questions though. How long does, uh, maybe you answered this question. How long does, let's say, regular gasoline last? That is not ethanol. And how long does diesel last if you're storing all this fuel? How long, and how long does propane last? I know you said you could have propane in a generator for six months and still not turn it on. How long would that last? Let's just say if I put propane in a generator and did absolutely nothing for many years how long would it all how long would that last and gasoline and diesel well
1: uh with diesel uh if the diesel has been stored underground it won't lose and the temperature is gonna be 60 degrees uh between 60 and 50 degrees year round which two feet under from the top of the tank and you know six seven foot down at the bottom of the tank, that fuel should with a good fuel stabilizer in it that fuel should still be good 10 years later i've ran some in trucks uh, and not noticed any uh fuel mileage discrepancy uh eight to ten years later if it was stored properly uh beyond you're you're kind of risking things when you get out there in that seven eight year range you're kind of pushing it with diesel gasoline You hit into that six months to a year range and you're pushing it.
0: Oh. Yeah. Now I know you did say in a in a phone call that leaded gasoline lasts a lot longer. Of course, not very I don't even think you can get leaded gasoline today, can you? I don't think you can. Not
1: that I'm aware of. No. No, that that
0: those days are over. Yeah. I think the last time I've seen anything related to leaded gasoline was in 1993 in Texas. I don't even think you can get it in Texas now.
1: No. Well, yeah, taking yeah. the taking the lead out of our gas was probably a good thing. Uh, our carburation system had to change, and we don't like it as well, and doesn't store as well. But there there is an upside. An upside. We don't have quite as much lead in the air, so. Uh, yeah. yeah uh it's a trade-off
0: well let me ask you this though where can you get fuel to store it now this may be an odd question but if you're at a maverick or something and you have a 250 gallon tank and you're feeling that number one it's going to be awfully expensive today number two people are going to mistake you as a hoarder so how do you get around all this well one thing you
1: could do is go to a truck stop Now, not all Mavericks have a special fuel uh, dispenser for ethanol free, but some, I know there's one in Richmond, uh, Utah, and we have one in Idaho uh, right here close that does. Uh, But And uh, there are several in the Logan area that sell a premium type gas that doesn't have ethanol in it. And you just have to look and see what you can find And uh, that's the stuff you want to save for your lawnmower. Or if you do have a gasoline generator, put that in it and don't use anything else and put a good fuel stabilizer with it and plan on running that generator on a regular basis. And if it's going to sit for any length of time, drain the carburetor, get that gas out of there because it will cause you problems.
0: All right. So that's that's good information truck stops i think are a good place to buy gasoline especially if you have a 250 dollar or 250 gallon tank or whatever just hope nobody accuses you of being a hoarder that's a whole another conversation let's move on though to propane generators what is your favorite propane generator and why or what should people be using
1: well i uh I know that there, the market had been flooded with all kinds of Chinese uh, generators and cheap-made things, and even the name brands uh, have a lot of Chinese parts in them. So let's not be splitting hairs, but there are good there are good uh, parts coming from Asia, and there are very cheap stuff. So the best thing to do is stick with a name brand like Honda. Uh, I like Coleman. Uh, Generac has been making uh, generators for a long time, and they make uh, small, medium, and uh, commercial uh, size stuff. North Star, uh, Caterpillar makes a commercial, you know, many commercial generators that are very dependable. If you're going to get up into that 25 kW range, uh, Caterpillar is a good option. They tend to be a little expensive. Onan has made a lot of backup generators. And uh, quite often you see a government building or a hospital and they will have an Onan propane generator as their backup power supply. And if you will watch the, K- the classified, you can pick up a 25 to uh, 50 KW Onan generator if that's the size that you would, w- would work for you, if that's not too big. Uh, that's been sitting around for 15 years, but it only has maybe 100 or 200 hours on it, very well maintained, and it just barely broke in. And you can buy them for, uh, you know, 25 cents on the dollar or something. Uh, and that's what I did. And, and I, I think those are very dependable. Those are That's top of the line commercial good stuff. Uh, but uh, if it has a name you can't pronounce, I would stay away from it.
0: Good advice. Uh, I think that's good advice for ham radios too, but we won't go there. Uh, I know what you're talking about being inundated from China with obscure names. What uh, can you, um, how would you hook a propane generator up to your house? And can you get one? I assume that you can that's big enough to power your whole entire house and you can run the generator as though the power never ran out. I would imagine it's awfully expensive, but I'm sure you could. How would you do all that if you have that kind of money? Well,
1: uh, first thing you need to do, of course, is determine how much power you're using. What's your peak power, uh, need. And are you going to run your generator 24 seven Uh, I don't think that's a really good idea. I would prefer uh, my line of thinking would be to get a solar system in. And it's very difficult, uh, very expensive to have a solar system in that would take care of all your needs 24 seven, especially if the sun doesn't shine for a couple of weeks. Uh, The batteries alone uh, would be astronomical. However, if you have a battery system and a solar panels your inverter and your charge controllers and they will they will deal with your emergency power load for 24 hours or for even 12 hours uh but 24 would be a good thing to to shoot for and then if you need a little extra power you go out and start your generator and run it for a half hour and then shut it off to recharge your batteries and maybe uh run it once a day for an hour or so if the sun isn't shining or you've got bad weather and uh, you're not running that generator 24 7 but you are keeping the essentials uh running and so that would be a that's the most economical smart way to go if you had the money to buy the generator that had the maximum amount of power to deal with you and you don't care about having the storage of the propane, and you're going to run that thing twenty-four-seven. Uh, then I guess you don't need the solar or any of those other things, and you would go with that system. And what you what you would need, uh, whether you did that or whether you did the generator that just was going to charge your batteries, and you had a you had a backup solar system or some other means of producing electricity if the power went out then you need a transfer switch. And if you're you're, your many of the new systems that are coming out now automatically switch your power, uh, that it cuts the line from the power company to your generator and it's done automatically and you don't have to worry about it. And if the power goes out uh, because a line goes down, it's not going to send power down the line and electrocute someone. Uh, so, and there are some pretty stiff regulations on that, on how that equipment has to be built and installed. Uh, but many of the even smaller systems are, are built to do that. And they are quite dependable. Uh, it's there, they have backup redundant systems inside and they work very well. Uh, however, If you're, that would be on a grid tie system, if you're going to use the grid tie to keep your batteries charged, which the grid's an awful cheap way to charge your batteries. It's a lot better than running a generator as long as the power's up. When the power goes down, then, you know, you need a generator or something else if you're in a bind and you need a little more power. But as long as the power is there to keep those batteries charged, they will work a lot longer, you'll get a lot better cycle out of your batteries if they don't uh, get run down really low. So uh, the transfer switch then becomes uh, kind of an essential thing. In my mind, you have a circuit breaker on your house. And maybe you install another one. And you take those circuits in your house that are essential, the things that maybe be going to run your fridge, your furnace, and a light or two in areas, your kitchen particularly, uh, where you maybe would want to congregate and uh, put emergency essentials, not your uh, air conditioning, on, on, this, on that breaker. And uh, then you would take uh, wires from that breaker and you would go down into a transfer switch. And of course, from your mother panel as well. And then if the power went off, you go down, uh, you go outside, and you, the transfer switch is a—it's an either or or an up or down. It's A or B. If it's up, it goes to one circuit, and if it's down, it goes to the other. So let's say that the circuit was wired so that when it was up, you have power coming in coming in from the grid, and you could hook a generator to it. To your, you could plug into it. It wouldn't go anywhere. It's it's dead. But if you pull that switch down and put it in the bottom position, the power company is now cut off. Your generator cannot back feed into the power lines, and it just goes straight into your, into your system. And hopefully, if you wired it correctly, you would have just your emergency breaker on that feed. And then when the generator was running, only those things that were absolutely essential probably charging your batteries if you had a solar system. And uh, like I said, the uh, furnace, a light or two, your fridge, maybe a freezer. But those things that were that were necessary. And you may want to have a plug-in for your washer and dryer. That's essential. But you may want to try and use that when the sun's shining if you have solar.
0: Okay, good information. I like what you just said. And let's talk more about solar generators. Um, how do you build your own solar generator?
1: Well, there are several kits out there that I quite like. Uh, Lion makes several, and uh, also uh, Point Zero has some. You can look, I think, both of those up on the web and find a dealer near you. They have lithium ion batteries. The new batteries coming out they're coming out of China, but they are lithium ion FOS. And those last about they warranty them or last uh, a lot longer than the regular lithium that those these batteries are similar to what you have in your power tools. And so uh, they're quite dependable. And uh, they're claiming that these lithium ion uh, FOS, they'll warranty them up to 25 years. And so uh, they have an inverter charge controller built into one system and the batteries just plug in. It's a very small unit uh, Most of them can be expandable uh, point zero and also the lion sanctuary work that way. And you can get, you can get lions R.0 point zero. That is kind of just, it's small enough that you could put it in the back of a pickup or you could put it on a small trailer and mount a solar panels to it and uh, work really well. Um, I've got one that's 3kw, it'll put out three kilowatt for about three hours, and uh, two guys can lift, pick it up and sit it in a pickup, it's portable, so uh, that's, uh, and it's kind of nice, but they are spendy, they're pricey, so if money's an object, let's talk about the way to save a bunch of money, building a little portable uh, solar generator. Portable solar generators, I think that's one of the smartest things I ever did. About 10 years ago, I went into Harbor Freight, and I bought their little solar panel kit that they had, and uh, had three small panels in it. In fact, by the way, that's about the cheapest panel on the market, and I mean, cheap, cheap, cheap in many ways. It's a very poor panel, but I hooked it on a very small trailer, and I put eight AGM batteries, that's the solid ones that, that you don't have to worry about uh, doing any maintenance on. Uh, they, they're not a liquid or a water field, they're a solid battery and I, they were deep cycle. And I got me a little uh, cheap charge controller and inverter and I hooked that up and uh, I'd go out and cut wood with it all day long, just turn the little trailer so it's facing the sun. And I didn't have to turn it on. I didn't have to start it in when it was cold. I mean, it just, there it is. Didn't have to shut it off. It was, you know, when I went to lunch, it just it just sits there quietly, doesn't make any noise. And uh, 10 years later, that thing still goes every day. I, I, I dispense fuel with it. My son wanted to you borrow it on a construction project. And I said, I can't, I'm using it. And so he went and bought some little nicer panels and put him some batteries in a little box. And he's got one that he can lift in and out of his pickup. And two or three guys can run uh, in his construction company. They use it to just charge the batteries on their cordless tools. And occasionally, I think he runs a big saw with it. But uh, you, can, you can put one together for uh, about the same money that you would buy a good dependable generator for. And you won't have to start it and you won't, and you won't have to change the oil and, uh, they'll outlast a generator a long time. So, uh, I think that that was one of the smartest things that I've ever did. It's the handiest thing I think I own, except maybe, uh, my kids. And I guess I don't own them,
0: do I? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Well, so on to the, uh, more about more questions about the solar power generator. What do you do in a place like Montana, where I'm located, and let's say the winter is here and it gets into the negatives quite often. In fact, uh, there's days where it's in the negatives all day from sun up to sundown, and the high might be negative two, the low might be negative 20, and there's been times where it's been about three months, just into the, or a month or two, where it's just been into the negatives. Would a solar power generator even work up here? And if so, would you have to store an awful lot of battery power in those generators during the summer and fall months? Well, you know, if you put a good battery in your car and batteries have come a long ways in
1: the last few years, uh, you can park it out there in 30, 40 degree weather below zero and it will still start. The batteries work better if they're warmer. There's there's no question they will store power and they work more efficiently if they're better. Uh, So you could put an insulated box on your trailer and stick your batteries in that. You could even uh, park it in your garage at night and uh, that would help. Uh, My little solar power generator, the one that I've got that I kind of cobbled together that way, it's got some good quality batteries in it in fact they're 10 years old and it's you know we get down to zero around here in fact it hasn't we had a month that never broke freezing around here for a month and a half this winter and i never put it inside and it always did whatever i needed it to do so i don't think uh the montana thing uh as long as you got a good angle on those panels and they're facing the sun if you need more power than what you've got you're probably only going to get about three hours of sun actually in that on your generator unless you happen to be unless you turn it to kind of follow the sun a little bit and uh, i will typically do that if i'm using it hard if i'm going out there and i'm working all day you know cutting firewood with an electric saw uh, every time i pass by i'll bump it just a little bit you know just to keep it turned into the sun. And I can stretch that into five or six hours. But normally, if it's in one position, you're only gonna get about three hours uh, in Montana. Make sure you got a good angle on those panels. In the wintertime, you wanna be up in that 50 degree range, You know, having the panels set up a little bit to catch that winter sun a little better. And they'll work just fine. And if you're hurting for power, Park it in your garage at night, or put it in an insulated box to kind of help keep it warm. As you're using it, they will generate a little heat.
0: So you're saying that actually a car battery, along with a solar battery, can last or do do well. Obviously, not as well. In you said negative forty degrees, or was that forty degrees positive? Oh, no, they'll. I've got I got
1: a D8 cat that I can go out and start. You know when it's forty below. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, it'll start it it's got good commercial batteries in it
0: okay yeah because i know i don't want to get too off talk but i know in places like nova scotia canada way back in the uh 2000 when i was up there there were actually people that would remotely start their car this is before these keychains became standard where you can start your car 100 feet away the, the you can actually Start your car from your keychain, and you'd have to go out to your car real quick and do something with the engine so it wouldn't choke or something. OK, anyway.
1: Well, so one little
0: side note on that. Yeah. Uh, your lithium-ion
1: batteries, like what's on your cordless tools, they do not like cold weather as well as your lead acid batteries do. Oh, okay. If you are going to have one and you're going to leave it outside and you're going to try and use it when it's really, really cold, you probably want to stick to a deep cycle lead acid battery because they will work uh, better in cold weather than a lithium ion uh, battery will. Your cordless tools don't like to be real cold. In fact, some of them, if they get down in that zero degree range, they just won't work at all until you warm them up.
0: So get a lead oxide battery if you plan to get the solar generator and the batteries.
1: If if you're gonna work in, if you want to work in really really cold weather, yes, you know, then that would be that would be a, a thing to look at.
0: Now is that the same type of type of batteries that are in cars?
1: Well, they're basically built the same, except the deep cycle ones are built heavier. Okay. which means you can uh, drain them down to within 20% of being run down, and they will charge back up without doing a damage to a battery. A car battery, if you do that very many times, you're going to ruin it.
0: Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about herbs. What herbs would you recommend? And I, I'm sure this is for a whole nother podcast, so let's just summarize it here. I don't want to get too off topic. In fact, uh, you and I, Larry and Raleigh, can do a whole podcast. Let's just briefly summarize here. What herbs would you recommend for, let's say, a 72-hour kit or just if there's a power outage for about a month or so? And by the way, real quick, we are not against antibiotics. In fact, I'm going to have somebody on my podcast uh, eventually who is a pharmacist and we will talk about antibiotics, how to get enough antibiotics for you to last for a few months, because some people do need antibiotics or insulin or whatever. But right now, we're just going to talk about herbs, since that's Val and specialty. What kind of herbs and essential oils would you recommend uh, for a long-term storage, or if you're going to be out in the woods for, let's say, a week or power outage? I know what I would recommend for essential oils, tea tree, lavender and frankincense. Those would be my go-to every single time. What about you? You probably have some things that you like.
1: Well, uh, one of the things that we're going to be concerned about in a, uh, situation you just discussed out in the woods for a week or so, we're going to make a pretty broad assumption, uh, that your diet probably has changed that you're not eating mcdonald's hamburgers uh your cooking may be a little different you may have some raw food that gets ingested or some burnt food so we we have some uh stomach issues inevitably that are going to occur or can occur and uh so one of the primary things that we would maybe look at in this week uh or even a day or two would be to deal with the stomach thing and uh, I think that in order to keep a person healthy, if they have a little food poisoning, or if they've just not doing well with the food that they're, they're not accustomed to eating, the first thing we need to do is keep the drain open. You can't clean or fix anything if the drain's plugged. So we need something to keep the kidney bladder working to keep things flushing through to get rid of any toxins that might build up, because if we don't, we can get quite a bit sicker really quite quickly. And there's pretty hard to beat mallow for, uh, keeping the kidneys functioning. If we have a, uh, dry herb pack, uh, we also have tinctures that are kidney bladder that have a few other things in them besides the mallow, uh, and we do have videos and whatever on how to make those. But uh, the kidney bladder formula would be one that I would like to have. And it's, it's a, a big share of that would be mallow. And it works really quite well in cleaning out the kidneys and keeping them going. And if the kidneys are working properly, uh, you don't seem to have near as much problems with the bowels as you could otherwise. Uh, sometimes uh, flu or infection can be a problem. And uh, if you have someone that has major diarrhea, a particularly small children, a diarrhea can be, uh, it can be life-threatening to a small child in a few hours because they dehydrate. And so in this particular scenario, Uh, having something that would hydrate them to help them in that sense is, is absolutely essential. So I would like to have uh, some kind of a, uh, some kind of a salt solution. There are several on the market that you could give to a a small child uh, that would help to, to make them, uh, to keep them hydrated. And uh, I know athletes have, various kinds that they like so that they don't have a bunch of water retention, but yet the cells still can contain uh, enough water <clears throat> that they don't get dried out. And uh, dehydration is a, it, its a, it can be a killer, particularly for young children. And in that particular case, uh, it's pretty hard to have beat having a little rosemary and a small enema on those little plastic uh, cups that you could give a little rosemary to help soothe those muscles and maybe a little garlic in there uh, and, and give that little child a little garlic enema with some rosemary in it. And if they are not absorbing water uh, in their stomach uh, because they have the flu or they're quite upset and the small intestine isn't, that last part of the large intestine can absorb a lot of water and help keep them hydrated until they get their system going again. And that kind of a thing could be life-saving. And so if I was going to have little children, I would want some kind of a, uh, hydration formula, uh, some kind of, and they're basically salts is what they are. That helps the body retain, absorb water and put them in the cells and keep it there. And, uh, and something to soothe the intestines if you have a major
0: flu problem. Okay. What about essential oils? What would you recommend? I've already given my recommendation, Oh, frankincense oh, lavender tea tree.
1: Yeah, the lavender, of course, for burns would be, would be a great one to have. I like spearmint because any abscesses or infection you have in the mouth a spearmint, a drop or two in a swallow of water and swish it around for a few minutes. There isn't anything better at dealing with infection or abscesses in the mouth than spearmint. And I like yarrow on cuts. You get a fairly deep cut and you put yarrow on there, and it will deal with infection and also help to close the wound so that you don't need stitches or maybe stitches aren't available. And it will do a reasonable job. And in some cases, uh, you won't leave only just a very minute scar, probably better than if you'd had it stitched. I'm a I'm a real fan of Yarrow for that purpose. The other thing that Yarrow is kind of good for is it also is hormonal, particularly for females. And if you have a adolescent female that's starting with cramps and she's got to go five miles to to avoid uh, some kind of a problem. Maybe you uh, don't want to be put in a refugee camp or whatever, and you've got to hike five or six miles and she just got hit with a severe case of cramping. Yarrow will settle that down, the essential oil. Uh, The green is better than the blue but they'll both work fairly well. And she just needs to smell that a little bit, maybe put a little bit on her temples or whatever. And uh, it's, uh, it's a very good hormonal thing. So we're looking at, and it will also kind of help a little bit with the, on the other end with the older women too. So uh, we're looking at things that can be debilitating and uh, that we might, might hit us and put a person down. That are normal expecting things and so that would be my that would be my short list
0: okay now let's talk about water just for a few minutes i know you didn't put this on the show notes but we i feel like we have to talk about water now that you brought up spearmint which is fine let's talk about what what water purifiers do you like now i personally like The good old-fashioned pump water purifiers that you can get at REI. Of course, this is back in the 1990s when I went on on a very intensive hike. Fortunately, I was with someone that had one. I assume that you can still buy those, but what purifiers would you like? There's Berkey. No, this is not an advertisement. This is just what we like. Uh, what would you recommend in terms of water purifiers if you were in an area or the power went out, and the water was bad in the cities, in your city water or whatever?
1: Well, I'm a Berkey fan myself. In fact, uh, all the water here at Butterfly Express that anybody drinks has all been ran through a Berkey filter. Let's have a party. Uh, if it's mountain spring water, we're going to run it through the Berkey, and that's what we do. Uh, as far as uh, I, I don't really know that any of those little portable ones that one is a uh, whole lot better than another. Uh, I don't have any particular ones that I'm a fan of. I do know that uh, as far as taking toxins, or uh, if you're worried about a little poison or toxins, or even maybe some bad, ugly bugs or whatever in your water, uh, you can't, You need to strain it and take the dirt out get the sand and the dirt out if there's any of that kind of thing in there and then you know you can do a pretty amazing job of duplicating a berkey filter by uh, taking some unburnt wood and scraping the charcoal off of it with your pocket knife and filling a sock with it beat it till it's kind of nice and powdery and then dump some dump some water in the top of that sock and let it filter through and you might be surprised. Now it's gonna be a little dirty because that sock's not gonna take all the little pieces out. But after you've ran a little bit through it, you'll find that it will clear up pretty good. And uh, of course, your Berkey filter does that too. The first water you run through there, you need to throw out uh, because it's a little discolored and kind of strong. But uh, you can make a fairly decent filter out out of the charcoal you scraped off of unburnt wood powderize it a little bit and put it in an old sock there you go
0: better than nothing yeah so the downside that i see to the berkey as good as they are and i've actually seen one in action my understanding with the berkey is it's a five gallon jug that you put on a tank and then it takes what 12 hours to filter down because it's all gravity so you're waiting 12 hours that's why i suggested the hand purifier, you know, barkies are obviously great if you have a family and your your whole family needs water, but if it's just you or you're out on a hike somewhere or you have to go get something, you're very thirsty, you can just put that hand purifier in the lake and pump it up, you know, pump it slowly, uh, you know, it'll suck up the water, then you push it down and it'll go into your cup. It's like a hose, the one that I'm familiar with.
1: Sure. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, so i
1: I don't have a preference on different brands on those my berkey filter though you can buy several different sizes i think my big one does take five gallon but if it has good nice filters on it it will it will run through five gallon in about 30 minutes
0: oh is that it because i heard it took 12 hours to filter the whole all the water in the berkey i guess it maybe that depends on how dirty your water is it it doesn't take
1: that long in clifton
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's why I'm glad to have preppers on, such as you, to clear that information. All right. Let's talk about. Um, let's talk about food. Well, let's talk about a seventy-two, a seventy-two hour kit first, and then we'll go right into food, because the, what do you would you recommend to put in a seventy-two hour kit? Now, I have some ideas. First of all, I would get a C-cream radio which, in my opinion, are the best portable radios on the market. You can buy a pocket radio, and you can have a desktop radio. Ideally, you ought to have both. Of course, you're not going to be able to fit your desktop radio in a 72-hour kit, but you got to have it on hand. Now, I realize the radios are not as good as they used to be, particularly on the AM. I know you can get an AM radio from 30, 40 years ago. And if it was a top-of-the-line AM radio, it was awesome. You could get radio stations clearer within your region if you had the right radio, even during the day. Of course, it depends on how powerful the transmitter is, too, at that radio station. But I bring that up because people are going to say, oh, Kevin, radios aren't as good as they used to be. I know, but the Green radios are still the best radios out there. And if the power's out and everything's going down, you actually would get really, really good reception on those sea crane pocket radios. Again, not an advertisement, just a plug here of things that we like. So what would you recommend? Oh, and then uh, I would recommend, ideally, if you can get a hold of it, freeze-dried food. Now, what is your favorite brand of freeze-dried food, Val? Because there are several of them out there mountain house which i am not a fan of they're very very salty and now we have to worry about people who are on a low salt diet because of kidney issues and such so what would you recommend first of all to put in a 70 tr kit and then what brands of freeze-dried food do you like and uh, you can talk about canned foods and all those other things if you'd like
1: well can i make a comment on the radio yes (laughs) i uh I don't carry a cell phone with me. Only rarely, I don't like having a leash, and I do not listen to the radio. Uh, I've got a pickup that's four or five years old, and I've and I've never turned the radio on. Uh, oh, it's you're not rare. My, okay. it's not my thing. Okay, I I I want to visit with whoever I'm uh, riding with, and uh, then if I'm alone, then I'll talk to an expert. I guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you'll forgive the arrogance. So. Uh, I, I do like uh, two-way radios, particularly the CBs. Oh yeah, I like to communicate with someone, you know, reach out and touch somebody a little bit. Uh, and so if I'm in a situation where I'm, I'm away from the house or I'm, I'm gonna be gone for a while, the CB radio is uh, really nice. Uh, lets me know what's going on, you know, 15, 20 miles away in any direction, uh, typically and uh, not something you're gonna put in your backpack. However, you could put a a small ham radio. So if I was gonna carry a radio, I believe I would want either a CB with me or a small ham radio, portable ham radio. And those are available. They're a little pricey uh, for a good one, but uh, I think that would be, and many of those can also access your weather and your emergency channels as well. So they're kind of a dual purpose thing for communication. On the uh, let's see, we were going to talk about 72 hour Oh, food and a 72 uh, That's real
0: quick here. The ham radio. Are you a licensed ham operator, by the way? I am not. Okay. I would encourage you to go back with uh in this podcast feed and listen to the two podcasts that I did about ham radio and uh why it'd be a good idea to get a license. Yes, you can get a CB radio. I find that they're not as clean as the ham radio in terms of transmission. A lot of weird things go on on the CV, but if you're in a dire emergency, why not? But I, yeah, I I I'm going to refer you to the podcasts I did one I did two with Noji N O J I, and you can learn all about the ham radio. But go ahead. What else were you oh, going to say? That. Was-
1: I'm working on that. It's it's on my bucket list. Yeah. So the food thing, I go to the grocery store. Uh, I like Winco. Uh, I, I, I like Smith's. I like Safeway. And each one, they carry a maybe slightly different brand. I really haven't found any particular difference. What I do like, though, what I prefer, I'm a somewhat independent type person, and I do not uh, typically carry with me prepackaged foods or uh, soups or chilies that are freeze-dried. I would prefer to buy the individual pieces—carrots, onions, potatoes, whatever I'm going to use. I'll buy them in individual peas. Uh, but boy, don't skip the onions, you know. Got to have my onions. Yep. And uh, then I'll mix up my own thing, uh, quantities for whatever I want. You know, maybe throw some dried some beans in there or whatever. And if you do get into your food storage, by the way, and you're cooking some old, old beans that somebody told you you should have thrown out years ago because they're hard and they won't cook down, soak them overnight in distilled water, catch a little rainwater, melt some snow, and you will be surprised how soft they are in just warm water after 24 hours. That distilled water does wonders for softening up old beans all right so soak
0: them up for 24 hours and then use them
1: yeah and we'll then cook them yeah mm-hmm. interesting. but pre-soak them for 24 hours in distilled water it it, it uh, wow. penetrates that thing and softens a much much different than this high mineral water that we're used to
0: interesting by the way i just bought some distilled water from walmart for different purposes but yes uh, I wouldn't recommend drinking distilled water because you need the minerals, but, and it tastes a little strange, but yes, a Val is right. You can, it is clean. You can soak your feet in there. You can soak beans or whatever. It's very clean. A Val is right. Um, I personally think ideally now I realize everybody's on a schedule. Everybody has different things. Ideally in my world, I would like to take a whole entire week or maybe a whole entire month and just cook a whole bunch of meals that I like. And that's all I'd be doing all day is just cooking. I'd be probably tired at the end of the day or whatever, just cooking meals that I like such as spaghetti with jalapenos and olives in it or corned beef and cabbage, or just corned beef, all kinds of things. And freeze-dry it in my own freeze-dryer, then I could have what I like. If I'm hiking or something, I can take the food that I like. But I realize not all of us have that kind of time. So are there any foods that you would recommend that maybe are low-salt if someone's on a low-salt diet? Or I know you said that you're do-it-yourselfer, but any brands out there of freeze-dried food that you like or anything like that?
1: Well, if the reason we're carrying freeze-dried, obviously, is because we're, we want to pack a big punch with little weight. Uh, and that's why we're going with freeze-dried. And, of course, it stores very well and, and you know, it keeps well. Uh, on that same uh, line or in that same venue, you're going to find that wheat uh, packs a powerful punch for the weight that it is if you're carrying straight wheat. And so I always have some straight wheat in my 72-hour kit. And uh, amazing what you can do with, you don't have to grind it to eat it. Uh, You can make a very quick, very nutritious meal in a few minutes with straight wheat. One of the better options maybe even uh, that I prefer to have even over wheat would be quinoa because quinoa is a complete protein. The only grain I know of that is and uh, just a couple, three ounces uh, will sustain you for a day. And uh, you might feel hungry, but it'll, it'll get you through. So, uh, And it's very easy to make. It cooks out uh, in a little water much quicker even than wheat. Uh, you can eat it raw, it's just a little crunchy, uh, but you'll get better usage out of the grain if you'll cook it just a little bit. And so quinoa would be an absolute essential in my 72-hour kit.
0: I love quinoa, by the way. It has a very distinctive flavor. Let's talk about, and then we'll be done with this podcast. I'm sure we'll have you and Laurie on your wife for another podcast about herbs and essential oils, but Let's talk about wooden stoves. What wooden stoves do you like out there? And I personally think it would be good if you could cook over a pellet stove. And I say the words pellet stove because they're environmentally friendly. I'm not trying to sound like a tree hugger or any of that, but they are. Let's face it. They're environmentally friendly. Uh I like the fact that they generate a whole lot of heat. Don't touch one while those are running. Believe me, I've never done it, but just walking by it scares me on occasion. But uh, can you cook over a pellet stove? And what wooden stove would you recommend, whether it's pellet or not? And what do you think of the pellet stove? Let's just go on that tangent for a while.
1: Well, I, I, I don't have a pellet stove. I do have a wood boiler outside. And uh, the reason I do is because wood stoves are messy. They put soot in the air. Yes. And when you clean them, you haul the firewood in and you haul it out. And my heavens, you know, it's it's just a mess. And if you open the door to uh, clean your stove, you're going to have soot in the air and your wife's going to be dusting everything and cleaning the windows. I mean, it, oh, yeah. curtains. it's just, it never ends with a wood stove in the house. The pellet stones, as you said, are a lot cleaner. And uh, I have heard that there are some new uh, ones out that you can cook on. And uh, oh. so uh, I, I haven't seen one, but then it, it, that's not in my, that's not in my thing. Uh, My thing's an outside boiler and uh, it's totally outside. I don't have the mess inside. I just fill that up with four foot long logs and or lumber and shut the door and uh, it heats water in a big jacket. I plumb the water into the house and and that's how I heat uh, this monstrosity that I have here with all the people that come and go. And uh, one of the things that uh, I have that i have noticed is of course we miss the wood stove heat there's just nothing quite like sitting next to a wood stove and getting warm if you've been out cold either it that is, or
0: listening to the nice crackling fire in a fireplace and having good conversations and drinking some good herbal tea or coffee hot chocolate whatever
1: yeah i i agree so i do miss the heat i do miss the aesthetics you know the the environment, whatever uh, there is that, and it's tempting to, tempting to do about that until I think about the mess, and I don't. I just have so much to do that uh, if I put one of them in the house, my wife would have me cleaning the walls. You know, I'd be repainting this house every two or three. I yep. don't have the time, okay. But it, maybe yep. if you had a small room somewhere, a utility room or whatever, we could put a wood stove in there with a little rocking chair, and I could go have my wood heat and. We could shut the door to the rest of the house when we when we were playing with the wood stove. That might work, you know. I might get away with that.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's talk about firewood. What firewood would you recommend to put in your burner? Your oh, I want to ask you about your boiler real quick. Just uh, your boiler is it? is it a room that's outside? Is it a separate room? Cause I've seen these boilers where you go into a room and the heater is loud. It's heats, heats the whole entire building. Now I realize this particular room was built in the fifties, but I remember walking to school. We'd walked in the alley to get to the school that I went to and that you could hear that boiler clear outside in the alley. Is, is your boiler the same thing? No, uh, my my boiler is just a firebox. It's surrounded by a
1: water jacket. I think the jacket's like two hundred and fifty gallon, and uh, you open the door and throw the wood in there. And you can't hear the pump's just a small little circulation pump. You can't hear it running uh, if you're right standing right next to it. It's just a small, bo- it's a small thing. Well, it probably does weigh nearly a ton, but you know, it's only what five feet, uh, long and maybe uh, five feet tall and four feet wide, something like that. And it just sits outside and it's very quiet. It doesn't, okay. doesn't ask for much other than, and I burn wood, uh, lumber, mainly
0: nails and all, I just throw it in there. So what wood would you recommend then? Uh, that burns efficiently. What trees would you recommend chopping down if you're going to collect firewood and those type of things? Well,
1: uh, of course, the premium uh, is your hardwood. And it's pretty tough to beat maple in the Intermountain West. That's probably one of the highest BTU woods out there. And it burns clean. It burns very hot. And uh, maple doesn't have a whole lot of ash so you don't have near as much cleaning to do. The softer the wood, like quaking asp and pine, the more ash you're going to clean, the more such you're going to have to haul out, and they don't burn as hot. So uh, if you get a cheap deal on some lumber yard, you know, and they have, they typically are doing pine, uh, the scraps of wood and pieces of tree that they're going to let you have for hauling off. It's going to be pine, and a lot of people have. That's all they've ever burned, and they're just happy as clams. and And it's fine. Pine isn't quite as ashy as quaking asp. Elm is a good choice if you're looking for a clean burning hot wood. Anything hard, popular cottonwood. Uh, they tend to have a little sap in them, unless they're really really dry, so they don't burn quite as clean unless you really get them, you know, two or three years old, uh, minimum on, uh, some of those high sappy hardwoods, but maple of course is a premium. And all right, one thing that I would probably recommend, well, it's for me. I, uh, I do a lot of my firewood cutting with my 12 inch miter saw and my solar generator. And so, uh, when, uh, When the lumber gets brought in here and they just dump it in a pile, I go up there and I cut it into four foot lengths with my miter saw and throw it on the bucket of the tractor and bring it down here and dump it by my boiler. And that works really well. Uh, And occasionally, you know, somebody's had some tree limbs or tree pieces that they want cleaned up. And I don't want the big heavy trunk because I got to split it and that's a lot of work. I want the branches that are like three inches up to six and i can lift them they're not too heavy and if they're eight foot long that's great i take it and put it on my miter saw and and flip the switch on my solar generator and i don't have to stop and sharpen my saw because it's got a carbide blade and it'll it'll cut all year on that blade and i won't have to touch it nails and all it it just doesn't care and it's uh very efficient uh low work and i don't have any splitting to do So I like that size and people that are out there cutting those two foot trees down and then they fight that to split it. Boy, that looks just like a lot of work to me.
0: Yeah. Okay. One more question and then I'll let Relay chime in if she wants to. What do you like best about, well, actually, uh, Relay, do you have any questions before I ask the final question?
2: No, I think you covered pretty much everything that I was wondering about. So thank you.
0: Okay. And I'm I think I hear you there scribbling notes in the background. That's a good job. Um, Val, what do you like best about being a prepper? Well, you meet the nicest sort of people.
1: <laughs> and and uh that's one of the real benefits you uh you seem to congregate and, and have interest in people who are doing similar things to you, and uh, they're independent minded. We can talk politics and religion, and we don't seem to have too too, too much problem that way. You don't have to be. It might too be careful. a problem in
0: Montana. A lot of people do not like religion up here that are preppers, but you could oh. certainly talk politics.
1: Well, send them down here. I'll 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 work on them a little bit. But but anyway. Uh, yeah that that's kind of a real plus plus. and of course the other uh i guess there's a big thing here uh freedom yes. everybody everybody loves freedom well you can cut it and slice it any way you want to but the only way to really maintain your freedom is to be independent And to the degree that you lose your independence, I don't care if it's medical, of insurance, monetary, uh, you can't feed yourself, you can't clothe yourself, you can't stay warm, you lose anything in your ability to take care of your absolute essential needs. And you have lost a piece of freedom. And so independence, that's what a prepper is. Uh, it's not something that you do for uh, Armageddon or the day the world stops turning. Uh, prepper is something, it's the way you live. And we live independent. We learn how to take care of ourselves and supply our own needs day to day. The more independent we can become,
0: the more free we will be. Amen to that. Now... On that note, are you worried about, this is something I have to bring up, are you worried about doing all this prepping and then the government figures out that you're a prepper and they want to take everything away from you? Are you worried about that? Do you preppers ever get into those discussions? Because I'd imagine this comes up quite often.
1: Well, you know, I, I guess we're all worried about them coming and taking our guns and, uh, they would like to redistribute our food and
0: uh yeah you know they know where to go too they know i I guess uh, they
1: would know where to come wouldn't they how and so ever uh i think that the real possibility is that there may be some people that are hungry that have need and i have extra and if they're willing to go to work uh they won't go hungry or get cold Uh, That that that's my plan. And if somebody comes and they take it away from me. At least I have the knowledge. Because uh, a lot of the stuff that I have didn't just get bought in the store. We made it. Yeah. And we can make it again because we're self-reliant. Right. Yes. We can build it. We can grow it. We can reproduce it. So we just start over. Nothing has really changed. I'd miss uh-huh. my pocket knife, okay, <laughs> if yeah. somebody stole that and my favorite gun. Yep. But, huh? We have learned being independent. We've learned how to take care of ourselves. And that knowledge they can't take away.
0: Yeah. Well, is there anything that you want to add? Anything you want to answer that I had forgotten about? Uh, well,
1: I don't know where our time is. We didn't talk too much about the contents of the seventy-two-hour kit.
0: Oh, let's maybe make we that want to another... do that.
1: Maybe we want to do that later.
0: Yeah, let's make that another podcast. Okay. All right. Uh, you, you uh, do you have anything else you want to add, Relay? I, I know I gave you a chance once, but.
2: Uh, no, I'm just, oh, you know, so I know you talked about classes and all that kind of stuff. A lot of information has moved online. Are there sites that people can go to to look this up that you're aware of books?
0: Oh, Where can people question.
2: go to learn this information for themselves? Great Lurie
0: question.
1: Has, Lurie has written four books that are educational uh, One, the one book is butterfly miracles with herbal remedies, and all of the formulas uh, that we use here at butterfly express and how to information is in those is in that book. And I do believe that there's an electronic version available uh, online. Uh, She also has a book uh, butterfly miracles with essential oils. And uh, in that book would be uh, all different kinds of ailments and what you would use, which one for, and even the, uh, blends that she has created or others and the different things that are in each one. That's all in that book with an extensive information on, uh, how to effectively use essential oils. Then she has written two books on homeopathics and, uh, that's kind of a hard nut to crack, but it's probably the most important of them all..
0: All right, good. Where do you get those books anyway?
1: Well you like I said you can go online and uh, Butterfly Miracles you can look them up uh, and you can order the you can order them from Butterfly Express. Or you can uh, get the electronic version, uh, they'll email it to you or send it to you how you like, and you can uh, read it that
0: way. Okay, I assume it's on the Kindle and Apple book and some of those places.
1: I don't know about Kindle or Apple but but there is an electronic version available of those books.
0: Okay, the bottom line is you can order it on butterfly Express. If you have any questions, give them a call.
1: There you go. Yeah. Uh,
0: Do you want a phone on.
1: number? If you have any if you have any trouble at all, the front desk is very helpful. Uh, yes. They they'll answer questions even on if you're having trouble with an oil or a tincture or whatever. They can even give you a little advice and counsel there, but it's 208-747-3021.
0: 208-747-3021. 208-747-3021.
1: Yes, sir. If you're having any trouble finding those books or or uh wanting it done, just give them a phone call and they'll walk you through it or uh they'll take your credit card. <laughs> they love your money and
2: they'll get it right out
0: to you. All right. Anything else you want to ask, lay?
2: So um some of the stuff like the homeopathic stuff the oils and stuff, are there recipes in the books? Uh, yes. Do you guys have starter kits that people can buy or is it basically get the recipes and then get your stuff and just follow the directions? We
1: have uh, all kinds of starter kits with essential oils. Uh, and we have, we have kits for people who are having babies at home uh, that have various things in. There are uh, kits for people who are doing foot zoning or doing cranial sacral massage therapist type stuff. There's, there's uh, small kits and large kits. I can't, there, there is a plethora of different kits available, uh, different bags and sort w- that come with product uh, in them, depending on what it is that you're focusing on, emergency kits, uh, uh, wilderness kits. Uh, different all different kind of things that way the herbal book is very extensive and uh, rather than uh, labor through uh, the directions on that you can just go online and watch a quick video on how to make a tincture or how to make a glyceride and uh, very easy we thought that uh, the FDA was going to shut down the tinctures and the glycerides some years ago. And so we started making uh, dry herb packs. And they are the herbs are put together in the combinations that work really well together and uh, weighed out and put in a mylar bag and sealed, And so all you have to do to that is just add your alcohol and a couple weeks later, you can strain it out and you have your tincture very affordable. And we went quite extensively on trying to get people to make their own because we thought that was going to be essential. And that particular thing is growing uh, leaps and bounds. It has really caught on. And people are, in fact, the herbal thing is growing much, much faster than the oils or anything else. Uh, People are buying those dry herb packs already made ready to go. And they can save a lot of money doing that. It's a little bit messy not a lot of fun but if you're willing to get your hands dirty uh, you can you can get right in there and it's easy to do and uh, like I say it makes using your herbs much much more affordable
2: great that sounds like some great information thank you for sharing that and I don't know if I missed this while I was taking notes but do you guys have a website where you have shop that people can just go and look at stuff or yes or okay. it's uh,
0: butterfly Express.org.
2: oh that's right okay yeah. i remember hearing that earlier on yeah sorry by the way
0: relay you're in uh, salt lake maybe one day you can head over to clifton idaho and visit yeah them. in fact i would like i'm going to do that at some point
2: yeah, that's not too far away from me, so I no. thought about that as well. So oh, I would love nice to come When you're
1: coming, we'll fix you a bite to eat and read to you.
0: Hey, I love it.
2: Sounds <laughs> good <right>. to me.
0: <laughs> well, anything else that you all want to go over before I end the podcast? I- I'm
2: good. All mm-hmm. right. I will talk to you later, folks. Thank you for listening to the Canning Plus 7 podcast. If you have a recommendation or suggestion, email Kevin Williams at canningplus 7 at protonmail.com. Remember, when emailing him, the plus is spelled out instead of the plus sign. You can also check him out at Facebook at canningplus7. That's Canning plus 7 with the plus symbol instead of the word plus on the Canning plus 7 Facebook page.